Hey everyone, uh, welcome to Zero Hour Talks. I am your host, Kayla Brathwaite. I'm the Director of Operations and Logistics at Zero Hour, and I'm coming from Charlotte, North Carolina. But it's cold, and it's gray, and um, I'm kind of liking it. How are you, Nadia? I'm good. I'm new host, Nadia. I'm the Co-Executive Director and Art Director for Zero Hour. I'm from Baltimore County, Maryland, and it's also kind of gray here, too. The sky's kind of opening <laughs> up. It's, it's a little blue. It's a little blue. Today, we will be talking more about industrial animal agriculture, the climate justice movement, and how that looks, how we want to see that change, and kind of zero hours take. Yeah. And so we are super excited. We have a special guest coming on our podcast this week, and he is Dr. Silesh Rowe, and he's founder and executive director of Climate Healers, and he'll be joining us from Phoenix, Arizona. So we're really excited to to talk to him and hear what he has to say about um, healing the earth and and really how animals need to be need to be a part of that that process. First, why is this important for us to talk about? I am vegetarian. I've been vegetarian for almost, it's like six years in, in July. So it was a decision that I made when I was really young and when I was 12. Um, it was like one of the first like major decisions that I made about my lifestyle. It was, it's really interesting. And I'm really glad that I, that I made it. And like at the time when I made it, it was more so for animal rights and for like how animals are inhumanely treated at slaughterhouses and it's still for that reason after joining the climate movement a few years after turning vegetarian and everything I've seen so many different aspects of the industry that's so corrupting and seeing how it affects the land how it affects people that are living on the land continuously seeing how it exploits animals and I think it's crazy that a lot of people don't like to talk about it and I feel like some ways it's been kind of like wishy-washy because we're like taught at a young age that we like need meat that we need milk and it's another industry in the world that's contributing to climate change and it's like if we're going to if we're going to solve the climate crisis we need to to make sure that we're we're dismantling all these different systems and all these different industries that are continuing to, to harm the land and harm people and, and living beings. You hit on a lot of like good topics there. Um, so I definitely tried to be vegetarian during my high school years and that did not go very well. I'm like Caribbean. So back home, a lot of folks do eat meat just as part of the culture, but we're not that much attached and dependent on large animal agricultural institutions how the United States is and so the way we see is very like sustainable and local and ethical there's a lot of eating like goat curry with roti like back home it's when I tried to be vegetarian I was eating like vegetarian and then I would cheat sometimes (laughs) but I think that just goes to show that's like collective change is very important but even more than just totally abandoning your culture and like the parts of your culture that does like enjoy me it's just understanding that it's more important to have ethical consumption um, and make sure that the food you're coming from is local because that's much more sustainable and useful to yeah. the movement than stressing a vegan diet or any diet not 
accessible to you. Even like supporting like local farms benefits smaller businesses, those that are, are local rather than just continuing to give so much money to, to big ag. And yeah. And it's interesting because like you said, the United States gets a lot of meat from outside the U.S., there was a Patriot Act episode by Hassan Minhaj where he talked about um, how a lot of beef comes from Brazil. And beef is like one of the biggest like producers of greenhouse gases. They produce methane and just like we're cutting down forests. Those forests naturally have bi- biodiversity and animals and so many different species living in them and are home to, to people as well. If we're just continuing to deforest, it, I, I think, exploit the land. Yeah, the problem sound like, is dependent on exploiting land um, and that is dependent on just excessive resource extraction. It is not our individual faults, the animal agricultural system being inherently like unsustainable and good for our earth. The institution itself, how it intersects with environmental racism. So with environmental racism, industries such as like slaughterhouses from the animal agricultural system, oil refineries from the fossil fuel industry, and other very toxic power plants are placed near poor black and brown communities. Those are like major contributors to pollution and environmental racism that those um, communities face. It, It really is like, we can't take a break. Just the economic system that we live in, if we can't let society take a break even though there's a global pandemic going on we have to we just have to keep making this and it's just like really putting the lives of black and brown people at risk because black and brown people are the ones that are most vulnerable to to this um to this virus and and really it's nothing new or surprising it just we we just keep seeing like racism and different systems of oppression perpetuated in different forms continuously over time and this is just one of the other ways that it's it's being perpetuated. Snaps to that. Why is it so necessary for people to actually come together and understand the faults in this industry so that we can change it? Yeah, I, I, I'm a strong believer in conversation and storytelling creating a lot of change. And we, we've seen that with the climate movement recently. With these strikes and everything, people have been talking more about the climate crisis. And because of that, we've been seeing more um, action happening on the local ground, at least I, I have here in Baltimore County. Like having conversation and just starting those uncomfortable conversations so people make them a normal conversation rather than like, oh, ew, that's disgusting. Or if you change your diet personally, it can make an impact. If everyone does it, you know that that is a big impact. There, There's so many um, statistics and data about a lot of people going vegan or vegetarian, dairy industries losing billions of dollars. And what we want to do, we don't want those industries to be like continuing to profit millions and billions of dollars. And there is that change that can be done where you stop eating cows or you don't eat meat Monday of the week. So there are like small things that you can do. For me and like my experience, my friends have to slowly like drop meat out of their diets. And I, I really see change when it comes in an open way and when it's not patronizing and where you're like yelling at people for like eating meat, being like rude to them, you know. But I, I've had a lot of open conversations with people about like changing their diets slightly. And it's it's definitely worked. And a lot of people have learned more about the corruptive industry. And like we do, we do also definitely need change on a, a larger scale, and that can be done through through legislation, reform of, of the system that we're in, more localization, 
and I believe green the Green New Deal also tackles um, animal agriculture. We we definitely do need to to get legislation in order to um, to change those systems and and also just refocus our community on supporting local local farmers, local groups. So our amazing guest is here, Dr. Silas Rowe, the founder and executive director of Climate Healers, a nonprofit dedicated toward healing the Earth's climate. A system specialist with a PhD in electrical engineering from Stanford University, Dr. Rowe worked on the internet communications infrastructure for 20 years after graduation. In 2006, he switched careers and became deeply immersed full-time in solving the environmental crises affecting humanity. Dr. Rao is the author of two books, Carbon Dharma, The Occupation of Butterflies, and Carbon Yoga, The Vegan Metamorphosis, and an executive producer of four documentaries, The Human Experiment, Cowspiracy, The Sustainability Secret, What the Health, and A Prayer for Compassion. Dr. Rao is a human, earth, and animal liberation activist, husband, dad, and since 2010, a star-struck grandfather. He has promised his granddaughter, Kamea, that his world would be largely vegan before she turns 16 in 2026, so that people will stop eating her relatives, the animals. Thank you for having Thank me. You. So how did you get into this climate movement space and, and intersecting animal liberation with the climate crisis? I started um, because I saw Al Gore's presentation on TV. So I'd come home one day from work and I turned on the public access channel on my TV and there was Al Gore talking about climate change. Uh, this was before his first movie, An Inconvenient Truth, had come out. And I told my wife, is this true? I mean, if this is happening, why isn't everybody working on this? She said, if you think it's that important, you know, go study it. And, <laughs> and I did that. And within a couple of months, I told her, I think I'm going to have to quit my career and start doing this full time because it's far worse than what he's saying. So then I wrote to Mr. Gore and I said, how can I help you? And I got trained by him in 2006, November. But I realized that he was only talking about one aspect of the problem. There's a whole other aspect. There's an entire aspect of social justice, climate justice, and animal rights, and all of that he was missing. He was only looking at it as an energy issue. How do you get clean energy into place? So I decided to start Climate Healers at that point. To me, it's about healing the earth, healing the climate, as opposed to fixing the symptoms, you know, which is what we do to our bodies all the time, right? We just patch our symptoms up and continue with our diabetes, our heart disease, and so on. And you could be eating the right foods and not having any of those diseases in the first place. And that no one tells us in the current system. So that's what I started focusing on. Correct. Yeah. Definitely like humanizing like this issues, the best way for people to actually like come in and like do work now. Um, but also I noticed that you mentioned your granddaughter, Kamaya, mm -hmm. on how you want this world to be better for her. And if you could just talk about why it's so important for people to actually take action now, why like it is literally like zero hour. Oh, sure. So let me tell you how, how Kimaya literally changed my life. She was born in 2010. And by that time, I had become very depressed about what's happening in the environment. I thought that we are the only species that doesn't belong. I was in a, this sanctuary in 2009 in uh, India. And this sanctuary was started by a couple from New Jersey who went there and bought a coffee plantation and turned that into a beautiful forest. So I asked Pamela, how did you do this? And this is incredible. 
what I see there. Because at night, I could not even hear people talk because there's such a loud din of insects because it's so full of life. Yeah. And so I asked her, how did you do it? And she said, nothing. We did nothing. We just tore down the fences and gave it back to the animals. So we are just caretakers of this. The animals did everything. I said, that's it. That's all you have to do. Just you know, tear down your fences and let the animals come in and do their thing. And she said, well, one more thing we had to do was to patrol the land and make sure that no human being comes inside. So at that point, I felt really small. I felt like I don't even belong in my own home because I was born in that forest just uh, 200 kilometers away from where she was doing her sanctuary. So I said, oh my God, this is, this is the story we're telling. We don't really belong on earth. Okay? If you take human beings out, nature is fine. Nature just recovers and everyone is happy. The animals are happy. They find their balance. Trees come back. The forest comes back. I, I was feeling like I don't belong on earth. Okay? So then when Kimaya was born in 2010, I came to see her when she was about a month old. She was born in Phoenix, and I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area at that time. And I held her in my arms for the first time, and she looked up at me and she smiled. Now, she is uh, half South Asian Indian from our side, and she's one quarter African American and one quarter American Indian from her mother's side. So I saw the whole earth in her. I mean, I saw all of humanity in her. So she had three continents in her right away. So it was as if humanity was looking up at me and smiling and saying, what do you mean I don't belong? I belong exactly as I am. So that was the message I got. So I went back and I started writing my first book right away. And that poured out of me. And that was Carbon Dharma. Because Dharma is what is the right thing to do. And that's very easy to figure out. What is the right thing to do? Well, be kind to all life. Just do what you say you're going to do. Do not kill. I mean, all those things that we've heard of, right? All the moral things that we've heard of. If we just do that, the life will be fine. We will all be fine. But it's very hard for us to do that within our current system. So because I realized that that couple from New Jersey was able to do what they were doing because they had enough money in their bank. They didn't have to work for a living. And the people who are coming and poaching the animals, they had no money in their bank. And so in order for them to even eat, they had to do something that earns them something. So they see this uh, an elephant as a walking $1,000 bill because that's how much you get for taking the tusk of the elephant and selling it. Uh, we have monetized everything. So we have created a game in which we are literally destroying the planet for that game, for the money game. I started looking into it from a systems perspective. And then I started looking at it from the, the story perspective. What kind of story are we telling? If you tell a story that we don't belong, then we'll act like we don't belong. So if you tell a story in which we do belong exactly as we are, then we figure out how to transform ourselves. So I looked for that story. And that was my second book, Carbon Yoga. And so it's a story that I had to tell based on science and the facts, because I'm an engineer and I like to base everything I do on science, uh, on science and the facts that explains why we are doing what we are doing and why, as a result of that, we are being called to transform to a non-violent way of living. Because that's the only thing that's sustainable. Violence is not sustainable. Non-violence is sustainable. Lying is not sustainable. Truth is sustainable. So everything that's moral is sustainable. Everything that we think of as immoral is not sustainable. So when we are all looking for sustainability, 
We should be looking for justice. That is sustainable. We have to do it like we mean it, not pretend to do it. That's what we are doing today. You know? We are doing a lot of pretending. There's a lot of lying going on, a lot of marketing going on. Um, we don't really implement what we say we are implementing. And to me, that's an engineering problem. So in engineering is about taking a specification and implementing it exactly and making sure that our implementation matches our specification. So to me, culture, like when you say all beings are created equal, then how do you implement that? That's civilization. When we say uh, our creator has given us inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, how do we implement that? Because right now we have said that, but we have implemented the most incarcerated population in human history, you know, the most warlike nation in human history. So that means our what we are saying is not the same as what we are doing. So how do you match that? And that's engineering. How do you get to implement what you said you're going to implement? So I realized that it's my role as a systems engineer to, to actually figure out how to do it. And when Kimaya was uh, six years old, I was reading her story in bed, and I had just finished analyzing the World Wildlife Fund's Living Planet report, which said that between 1970 and 2012, we killed 58% of all wild animals on the planet in terms of total weight. In just 42 years, we did that. So I had calculated that if you just extrapolate that out and say, how many more years can we keep doing this before it reaches 100%, it was 2026. So I calculated by 2026, we are on track to wipe them out. So I was reading her a story in bed. And at the end of the story, she asked me, Grandpa, who are the first human beings? And I have promised her that I'll never, ever lie to her. Basically, um, made me look at things from her perspective because I don't ever want to lie to her. And we have raised her a vegan since birth. She has a very fresh perspective because she doesn't see, I mean, she sees violence right away. And she'll point out to you, that's violent. Why are the people, why are people doing that? Um, I was explaining to her how evolution works. So I told her, imagine that you're standing on, your, on the street and you're holding your mother by your hand. And you ask your mother to bring her mother, and make her stand by her side and so on. You create a long line of mothers on this side of the street. And on the other side of the street, you ask a chimpanzee to do the same thing with her mother and her grandmother and so on. By the time these two lines go from Phoenix to Tucson, they would merge. There'd be only one single line because both lines are going to say, hey, that's my mother too. Immediately, she sat up in bed and she said, what? Are you telling me that animals are my family? And I said, yeah, now that you put it that way, yeah, they are your family. And then she said, why are people eating my family? Grandpa, make them stop. They're eating my family. Make them stop. And I told her, you know, I, this is what I do. In fact, I've been trying to make them stop for the last, I don't know, seven, eight years. This is my job to make them stop. And she stopped crying and she looked at me and she said, this is your job? This is your job? You know, you haven't done your job. And she said, when will you do your job? And, I, uh, and 2026 was so fresh in my mind at that time. And I said, we have to do it by 2026. Otherwise, we are all in big trouble. And she said, promise? She said, will you give me a pinky promise? I said, sure, I'll give you a pinky promise. And then she said, you can never, ever break a pinky promise and went to sleep. That's when the project was born. And I said, what do we have to do as human beings? It's nothing much. We just have to eat this instead of that. You have to wear this instead of that. You have to start being more mindful about how we are interacting with animals, making sure that they thrive when we thrive. So for us, it is a lifestyle change. And we have done lifestyle changes like this 
so many times in the past. And when we started agriculture, we did a lifestyle change, massive lifestyle change. And today we are called to do a similar kind of lifestyle change so that we thrive and all animals thrive. Why can't we do that? You know, if we just we just have to tell the right story, we have to start playing the right game. The current game of money, of course, will not allow you to do that because this game is designed for growth and capitalism and oppression. You know, that's what this game is about. So we just have to create a different game. When we all play that game, we automatically become kind to each other. We automatically become kind to all life. So that's the game I started working on. How do we create such a game? We have come up with a game like that. You can see that on our website. It's called Aquarius. Uh, we are now working on the software for it. And you know, Yeah, change the systems that we're in because it just isn't working for everyone. Yeah, like humans are put on like some pedestal. Um, right compared to animals. And I, I think that that's something that we should definitely like go back to. And... Look at what we call ourselves. We call ourselves Homo sapiens sapiens, which translates to the wise, wise hominid. I mean, have you ever met a wise person who goes around saying, I'm wise, wise? <laughs> it's stupid. Yeah. It's very narcissistic. Yeah. So we are behaving like that. We are behaving like that narcissistic species. That's pretty much sociopathic. To other other life. So we need to first change what we call ourselves. If we don't change what we call ourselves, we are still going to behave like this. So I'm suggesting we call ourselves Homo Ahimsa, which is uh, a term that Judy Carman came up with in her book, Peace to All Beings. So it's a combination of a Latin word and a Sanskrit word. Symbolizes that we are coming together as a species. Ahimsa in Sanskrit means non-violent. It's actually more than nonviolent, but it's, you know, that's the closest translation you can come up with. Um, basically, that describes our character. It doesn't describe our, you know, characteristic of wisdom, right? It doesn't, we don't go around saying I'm wise anymore. It says we are not going to hurt anyone. That's what Homa Ahimsa says. So I suggest that we start using that term. And that is a conscious transformation that we do. Yeah. That was all really powerful and honest. And so thank you for sharing that with us. One thing I really vibed with was justice is sustainable. Mm -hmm. And that anything in opposition to that is naturally not. I think that's really like powerful because it shows that like those systems cannot be legitimized mm -hmm. if we are to truly be liberated from injustice. So thank you for that. Yeah, um, I even call it as, you know, human, earth, animal liberation. It's all together. There's only one liberation fight. Human liberation, earth liberation, animal liberation. It's one fight. It's one liberation. And that stands for H-E-A-L, heal, human, earth, animal liberation. And I think whenever we talk about how industries do need to be changed in order to be more like just and moral and ethical people are always asking we see this is not working like what alternatives do we have to make this work like what practices do we want to see people take on um and i know one of those we mentioned being conscious of like the food you're eating but if you could speak more to like what practices we could see in the industry in the next couple of years i want to see more cooperatives that are mindful of all stakeholders and not just you know the ones who put the money into it. Uh, what, what are you doing to the environment? So it has to be people, planet, all together, okay? And animals all together. I mean, there is the need for profit in the sense that you need to have a going concern so that you're getting more than you're putting in. Otherwise, you, it, it spirals out of business. But that profit has to be continuously invested back into the community. 
100% of it. So meaning, you know, whatever you put in as capital to start this is just your contribution. So I call this a contributionism as opposed to capitalism. If people realize that we are playing a game in which uh, currently a few people have just grabbed all of the resources and they're just making us all work for them, and we are all being factory farmed, not just animals, even people are being factory farmed. And so when we realize that that's the game we are playing, and then we say, here is another game in which I guarantee to you that you're going to be treated equally, that everyone is coming in at the same level, and everyone's basic needs are automatically met by the community, taken care of by the community. If you know that your food is taken care of, your you know, shelter is taken care of, your clothing is taken care of, then what would you do to contribute to the community? That is contributionism. Okay, how am I going to help the community? So that way you can actually create an economic flow. Because what is economics? Economics is what we do as human beings. How are we putting our time and effort into? What are we putting it into? And right now, economics is driven by money. Money is saying this is the way you put it in, your effort into. Because the guy who has the money wants that to get done. And you, you can say, well, the guy who has the money doesn't seem to have good ideas. <laughs> so why should I do that? Eh? And there is no check right now. Uh, because the people who have the money have controlled the government. So all power is being usurped. We have a rigged system that is not doing us any good. It's destroying the planet. It's causing pandemics. It's got, I mean, even in the middle of a pandemic, they are declaring slaughterhouses to be critical infrastructure and making people go and work there and get sick, even though we all know that you don't need to eat that anymore. <laughs> and it's actually making us sick okay, by eating that. Yeah. We are not being honest with ourselves. We are not telling the truth. So you have to build a system that's based on science and the truth. And you have to build a game that's based on science and the truth, a new game of money in which people feel like they automatically get the money coming into their accounts automatically. You don't have to go work to get your money. Money is already coming to you. Then you say, what am I going to do with this money? Okay. How are you going to contribute with this money? And so then I bet you that you'll unleash the compassionate core of human beings. So yeah. um, that's what I want to see happen. Thank you. Oh my God, that was amazing. Um, coming up on our last few moments, I just wanted to ask if you had any like closing words. I'd say that we are in the middle of the greatest transformation in human history. We are, in, uh, we are a caterpillar species that became a chrysalis species. And we are imagining what could, could be as the butterfly species. So, that's, so we are transitioning from a predator species to a caretaker species, which is a brand new form of biology, which has never happened before. And we are the only species that used to be a prey species that became a predator species. So we have done this before. And I say, take heart that you are in the middle of something amazing. And so please focus on that and work towards it. And we'll get through this. I have a promise to keep. And my entire generation has a promise to keep to my granddaughter's generation. And, and we are going to make it happen. And here she is. Oh, hey. <laughs> oh my God, that was so cute. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so, so much for holding space with us for this. Um, 
If anyone would like to find out more about the work about Dr. Rao, we'll be linking and plugging you into that. Yeah, you can go to the website, climatehealers.org. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us today and listening to us speak about industrial animal agriculture. I am Kayla, your host for today, along with Nadia. You can check out more from us at This Is Zero Hour on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, any social media platform. If you're looking for ways to support a youth-led, woman of color-led org, feel free to donate to join the team and get plugged in. And we're super stoked to talk to you guys next week. <laughs> so next week, we're... Um, theme for getting to the roots is climate anxiety and how that affects people especially frontline communities lots of talk about existential crises next week we are produced by the amazing goal 17 so definitely check them out and check their workout